0: I'm so thankful for that reminder. Many times, the lies speak louder than the truth. And we need to be reminded of who you are and what you do. Thank you for that truth this morning. May you continue to reveal your character to us. It is in your name that Good morning. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Um, Happy Father's Day. Um, I know that uh, this day is um, for dads sometimes. I had a dad walk in and say, oh, it's Father's Day. I was like, oh, we always do a great job of that. So thank you. Um, My husband is actually... um, being basketball dad this morning, my daughter's playing in a tournament. And so he is um, getting to do that. And I just have, I'm just so fortunate and lucky and grateful for my husband. He's a wonderful dad. And so we get to celebrate him later, which I'm sure he's just going to want to be by himself for a little bit. So, uh, so a bunch of high school Bunch of high school girls playing basketball today. So, um, and then also, uh, you know, just this being our anniversary as a church and just to see what God has done. And honestly, when I think back in, in our journey as a church, I uh, sometimes go back and watch some of our old messages and we look so young. Um so I feel like sometimes church years are like dog years and we just age a little faster, but uh I'm just really grateful. Um grateful to be here. Um just what this church has meant to me and, and you and um just how you've loved us and just it's been so healing and freeing for me to be here. So I just I'm just really thankful um for this place and um so today we are going to I don't know if I introduced myself. My name is Melissa. If I haven't met you yet, I serve here as the executive pastor. I'm sorry. Um, We have, for the last two weeks, been um, in a series called The Finish Line, going through the book of Philippians. Um, And Bill led us last week through Philippians 3, where we looked at what is the finish line of our faith. And how does salvation actually play a role in that race that we're running? And, and really, we sometimes think salvation, I stepped across this line, and I'm done. And really, it is being transformed more and more like Jesus as we grow. And that's really how our race is defined. And um, I love the book of Philippians because I like to be, I'm a coach, I like to be coached. And Philippians, like Paul is coaching them up. And I love that about this book. Um, last week, Bill mentioned he was a runner and ran half marathons and runs for fun, which is great. I know there's a lot of people in here who run when no one's chasing them, and that's fine. That's great. That's great for you. I'm excited that you are a runner. Um, back in my younger days, I was a runner, but only because I had to. I played college soccer, and like running is a requirement of my sport. And so I had to do that. And I was thinking about Bill's... Um, all his rules he talked about last week about runners and all the things. And I was actually tricked into running a half marathon. Um, I'll tell you a story. So I had a teammate who needed a running partner for this half marathon she was doing. And she asked me, and I was like, this is how you know you're young and dumb. You're like, sure. I mean, how hard can it be? It's 13 miles. It's not that hard, right? Um, I didn't train. I didn't, like... Prep with nutrition or like have like certain shoes or clothes or gear or whatever. And um, like an idiot, I just showed up in like some, you know, old shorts and shoes and was like, okay, I'm warm. Let's go, you know? Uh, That's how you know you're young and dumb because you just show up and think you're going to kill a half marathon. I don't know why. And it was like mile four, I realized I can't do this. I have missed some essential things that prepare you for runs like this. I had really never run past like five miles at that point. Um, So I was getting close to the point where I normally get to stop. And I realized I'm not even halfway. This is horrible. And um, I for sure didn't have the right like a gear on because things were like, chafing and hurting and, like, my legs were burning and, like, whatever I ate, you know, whatever a poor college kid eats, you know, on a Friday night was, like, for sure gurgling. Like, nothing was working and um, everything was hurting and um, I realized I probably should have prepared better for this and i stopped many times to puke and decide if I'm gonna die um, <laughs> and uh, there was a person that I was run that was, like, on the sideline cheering someone on that had, like, a, for whatever reason, had, like, a thing of Vaseline, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was just, like, putting it on everywhere, because I didn't realize, like, that happened when you're, like, running, in it was in San Angeles, hot, and whatever. It was just horrible. Um, I finally, like, hobbled across this finish line, and my teammate, who is one of my dear friends, I, I thought, obviously hated me, but... You know, she was done. All the ladies that I saw like mall walking like around the San Angelo Mall all the time, they were done. Like I was just like barely dragging myself in and um, literally the only thing that kept me going was knowing we parked by the finish line and I could hear people cheering. So I knew I was close to the car that would take me home. And like that's the only thing that kept me going and I missed... Some foundational things, preparing for that race. I mean, just simple, basic things, but foundational things. And um, I was thinking about this, kind of laughing because it was like, oh my gosh, why would I think I could do that? Like, I just—that's how you know. You know, you're just young and, and dumb, and just go do stuff. But um, I love this and. Philippians that this is how Paul is like coaching up this church. It's like, hey guys, don't miss the basics. Okay. And we, we tend to do this. We tend to kind of like think, oh, I've conquered the basics. I don't have to go back and do those things. Um, I coach soccer and um, every practice my team asks me, are we going to scrimmage? Can we scrimmage? Are we going to scrimmage? And I love to play. I'd love for us to scrimmage, but we have to know how to kick the ball. So there's basics that we have to master. Uh, Golden State just won the championship, and Steph Curry played amazing. And, but if you look at his training regimen, he just takes free throws over and over and over. He does these basic things over and over and over and focuses on these really foundational things to apply as he's running his race or playing the game. And, and that's what Paul is calling us to in Philippians. And so we're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians. Um, it will be on the screen. Or if you are a Bible app user, it will be on the live event there. And so we're going to look at a few things here. But we're going to read through the uh, first few line, uh, uh, verses in Philippians. And then we're going to kind of break it up a little bit. So join me there, Philippians 1. Philippians um, 1. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this matter in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Eodea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything through everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So again, we see Paul coaching here. Um, he obviously loves this group of people. He, he says it right from the beginning. He calls them my joy and my crown. And I love the crown that he uses like an actual wreath, like an athlete would receive after a competition. He considers them to be celebrated and family. And he misses them and longs to be with them. Um, and he's telling them to stand firm. Now, remember, Paul is writing this letter to the church from prison. He understands hard times. He gets when things are tough. And so we see something here. At the start of verse 1, we see the words, so then. And you may have therefore in your version. Whenever we see that in scripture, we have to go back to what's before and see what he's talking about. Because he's saying, hey, because of that, you can do this. So we have to kind of go back. So going back to chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, this is what Bill talked about last week. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And so he's reminding them that this is temporary. Whatever they're enduring is temporary. He's giving them this big picture. He's giving them a reminder, okay, of the end line. Listen, you have a future destination and a future transformation that you get to look forward to. You know how this story ends. This will not last forever. And you can stand on that promise of this future destination and transformation. You can stand on that. I love how Paul is the coach because you give him the big picture, right? There's the end line. There's the finish line. Now let's break it down. Let's make sure that you can do the skills that it takes to get there. And he keeps this eternal perspective at the forefront of his letter. Hey, look at the big picture of what we are doing. And here are the little things that you can do to run this race really well. These are the basics. So we're going to focus on some basics today. And now, here's a lie we tell ourselves: I'm past the basics. I've conquered the basics. Um, A wonderful teacher that I love talked about what happens when you get done reading the Bible. You just flip it over and you start again. We're never done with the basics, okay? We're always going back to this. So here's a couple things that Paul points out to us. He says, focus on unity, so he has this eternal perspective that he has reminded of them in verse 1, and then he addresses conflict. So there's two women that he addresses, Eodea and Syntyche, which I don't know if that's how you say their name. I'm guessing. I think that's how you say it. So if it's wrong, talk to Bill. But anyway, so they're having a conflict, Okay. It's probably not a significant gospel conflict because if it was, he would call. Paul's pretty straightforward. He would call it out. It seems like there is some type of issue that they are having. They're not resolving. They're not reconciling it, and it's causing division. And Paul is calling on the people of the church to come alongside these women and resolve this issue. Now, we don't see Paul picking a side, okay, We don't see him, like, admonishing or or choosing who's right and who's wrong, okay? In fact, he tells the people, um, (laughs) it's interesting. I don't know if I would want to be in Scripture for all time as someone who, like, had a tiff and couldn't get over it. Um, But he also says, hey, they are in the book of life. He gives them this big picture, and it's kind of like, listen, listen. You guys have this thing. You need to resolve it because you're going to be, like, together forever. So we need to work this out, okay? And he calls them co-laborers. And he's giving them this big picture, like, hey, guys, we have eternity. Figure it out. Conflict is not fun. If you like conflict, I would really love to talk to you about why. Um, I don't. Conflict is um, makes us uncomfortable. Um, we tend to avoid it at all costs. We don't want to have the hard conversations. We don't want to address something. Even if it made us feel hurt or upset or pain, we will just act like it didn't happen, or we will avoid it or we'll like ghost somebody, or we will get bitter and resentful and passive-aggressive, all those really healthy things that we like to do with conflict, right? And so... He is telling us, hey, your nature is to avoid this, but we have to focus on unity. Now, unity is not conformity. We don't all have to sound the same, look the same, talk the same, believe the same things. Okay? It isn't like, oh, my gosh, if, you know, I like the gray carpet and you like the black carpet. Like, we can't. The church splits. Which churches have split over the color of carpet or the coffee or the whatever? So it doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but we have to agree on the big things, the gospel things, right? Jesus is our Savior, that he died for us. Those, like, gospel foundational things we have to agree on. All these other issues, these secondary issues, like, we can work on bridging the gap. But it takes this eternal perspective to remind us of that. That he's saying, like, listen, there's more coming. There's this transformation. There's this destination that you will be experiencing together. So we need to work this out. And we're called to live different. As a Christ follower, if you profess to follow Christ, you're called to live different in this world. What makes you look different as a Christ follower? What if it's the way that we handle conflict? What if it is the way that we address disagreements? Wouldn't it be wonderful to see the church, where the church, Christians, actually address and handle conflict in this world differently? Wouldn't that be wonderful not to get offended, not to disown somebody who's a brother and sister in Christ, or maybe like a real brother or sister, over a disagreement? And I think a big part of why we see this pushback against the church and we see this pushback against Christianity is because we don't stand differently in this world in this regard. We are handling conflict and tension and disagreement the same way that everyone else is without reconciliation in mind, without the big picture in mind, without that future destination and that future transformation in mind. So how do we approach conflict? Defensive? We get our dukes up. Ready? I'm ready to prove how wrong you are and how right I am. I love that. I'm good at that. Is it posturing that I have to be right? Like I will sacrifice all of the relationship that we have to be right? Or is it a posture of humility? Do we posture ourselves to hear from people that have a conflict with us, with a heart of reconciliation to be brought back together. Because that's a that's business of God is that he's reconciling us back to himself and to each other. That was his intention. We're to labor together. We're spending eternity together. We should talk about what we disagree in. We're no different as Christ followers as any other entity of people. There'll be tension and conflict As a staff, we have tension and conflict. We don't agree on everything. We have hard conversations. We have to work things out. We have to focus on reconciliation so we can continue to work together. Very recently, I had a conversation with someone who came to me and told me that I had done something that hurt them. And it was really hard to hear that I had done something that hurt her. And um, my heart was not to hurt her, but I did. It was uncomfortable to hear that. And my first reaction was to think of all the reasons why she was wrong. Well, I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't my intention, right? I, I went through all the reasons of, like, why you shouldn't be upset with me. But then I just sat and I listened. And I became so thankful that she had this eternal perspective that she focused on, and that she loved me enough, this church enough, to focus on unity, to come to me and say, hey, here's this gap. We need to work on this. And she valued that we were going to be co-laborers for eternity. She valued our relationship. We're not Best friends. We're acquaintances that go to church together. But she loved me as a sister in Christ enough to come to me and say, hey, I, I want to reconcile with you. I want to work towards this. It was a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God wants us to look like and what Paul is challenging the church here. He said, man, love each other enough to work it out. Have a posture to be able to reconcile. It is hard to reconcile puffed up, mad, angry, defensive. And sometimes we need someone, and that's what Paul calls someone to come alongside us and help us work through reconciliation. He calls them to reconcile so y'all can reconcile, work it out. Hey, co laborers, church, come alongside them, help them work this out. And I'm not saying that every situation can be reconciled. Please don't put words there where I'm not saying I know that there are are deep wounds and pain and um, things that cannot be reconciled, and I understand that. Reconciliation is mutual. It has people, two humble people coming together, keeping the internal perspective in front of them. But in places that we can work towards reconciliation Part of our walk is to walk with this internal perspective and fight for unity, fight for us to be a united front, even if we disagree with all the points. Listen, in our culture, if you don't agree with me on every single point, we can't be friends. That's what our culture says to us. We disagree. We sit on different sides of the aisle. Whatever it is, we can't be friends. How many families over the last five, six years have been decimated by this? Not able to come to a place of eternal perspective to agree to disagree, but love each other enough to work through the hard stuff. I see this a lot in parenting. I grew up in a house where it doesn't matter if my parents were right or wrong or wrong. They weren't going to tell me they were wrong, and they sure as heck weren't going to apologize. Okay. So I see this as a parent. It is hard to go to my kid who thinks they're smarter than me 95% of the time and apologize and say you know what mom messed up I'm really sorry can you forgive me but I will tell you that, that posture and parenting has changed my relationship with my children because they see that one I'm human and I am can be wrong which they know that They're not dumb. They see mom's wrong, (laughs) but they see their mom say, you know what, I love you enough to check my ego and say, I'm wrong, and I'm sorry, and can you forgive me, and can we work forward together? It shows them how to focus on unity, not dig my heels in, but to stay in it with them, to love them enough. To care enough about their eternal perspective to teach them how to find it and see it. It says in scripture here, it says, um, let your graciousness or maybe your gentleness or your reasonableness, depending on the, the version, be known. Wouldn't you love to be known as someone who is reasonable? I think I say every day people are crazy. I don't ever say people are just so reasonable. <laughs> Who has said that? I have said that. People are just so reasonable. What if we were just known as reasonable, gentle, humble, patient people? What would that do? How would our world look if we fought for reconciliation and unity rather than being right all the time, no matter the cost? It was a gift that my friend came to me and told me what I had done that caused us to have a rift. It was a gift. She could have ghosted me. She could have left here. No explanation. She could have taken off and said bad things and whatever. She didn't. She loved me. She came to me with humble posture. And gave me an opportunity to fight for unity and reconciliation with her. As we focus on unity, we have to focus on building bridges. We have to focus on understanding more than we um, want to be right. We have to want to reconcile more than we want to prove you wrong or me wrong. Man, that's hard. I love being right. I'm so good at it. But I will tell you, it comes at a cost. To always make sure that I'm right leaves a lot of damage in its wake. Because you cannot fight for reconciliation with your heels dug in. Because you can't pull towards each other. He's calling to focus on unity. Another basic that he's calling us to is to focus on joy. We see it here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. So Paul is writing this from prison, saying this. Rejoice. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. No sense. But again, there's this way that we can see joy when we have this eternal perspective. Because what that eternal perspective, what that future destination and that future transformation remind us of is that this is not forever. This is not forever. I knew when I was running that 150 miles that day, (laughs) which it felt like. But it wasn't going to be forever. I could endure it. Because I knew the finish line was coming. And there's a confidence and a strength that is developed when we endure and have endurance. And we continue to hope in that future destination and that future transformation that we were promised in Philippians 3. I see this when I walk with people through death. It is remarkable the difference between when someone passes that you know is a believer... And has a relationship with the Lord and isn't. It makes it, it's so remarkable when the family, it's a family of believers. Because they have this peace that makes no sense in the face of horrible circumstances. We actually have a funeral here tomorrow for a sweet part of our extended table family. And... Walking with this wife through the death of her husband is so humbling to watch her grieve because she's like sad and then she was like, I'm so thankful for God to have mercy on him because he was in so much pain. She finds so much hope in the transformation he experienced. It makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. That's the mystery of faith. It's, it's, it's just so humbling to watch people who have every worldly reason to not experience joy fight for it. And there's a thankfulness and a gratefulness there that helps them keep that eternal perspective in mind. I've heard when joy is a verb, it's something you do. It's not something you feel. And I, I had to sit in this for a little bit because there is a happy, there is a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is like a great bowl of guacamole and chips. You know, it's like happy day. Okay. But joy, how do you wrap your mind around joy? Because once I leave the table and the guacamole is gone, the happiness is gone. What is joy? It's a choice to step into situations and look up and see what is ahead and see what is coming and be thankful for a God whose character is goodness. When you know that God's character is goodness and that he works out good for you and for those who believe, there's a thankfulness there. This is, I know I will endure this and this is not forever. And I will have a moment that I get to experience all of your goodness. And it might not be where I'm feeling the goodness now, but I'm thankful that it's coming. And I think rejoicing and joy comes from us pulling our heads up and looking forward and finding something to be thankful for. And many times it's to be thankful for God's character, that he is Good, And we can rest and stand on that. It does not make sense. And I realize that. It doesn't make sense when someone is burying their kid or their spouse or their parent. It does not make sense. There's a mystery of faith. But in that heart, we can find this joy that makes no sense. It's thanking God no matter the outcome. Thanking for who he is. This eternal perspective that he has promised a transformation and a destination that will heal this broken body, this broken heart, and it will be transformed one day. Lastly, he says to focus on prayer. So he says here, do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Okay. A lot of times, this verse has been weaponized. We don't use this verse well. When someone says, I'm worried, I have, I'm anxious, I'm feeling a way about something, they're like, well, did you pray about it? And at the moment, when you're riddled with anxiety, sometimes you want to punch someone that says that. Like, oh, I forgot about that part. Of course, I prayed about it. And God knows that we will have troubles. That's why He puts it in Scripture. Scripture is inspired and breathed in by the Holy Spirit. Like He knows we will experience anxiety. I am someone who experiences and struggles with anxiety. I love the Lord, I believe in His goodness. I pray. I have basic disciplines that I stick to, and I still struggle with anxiety. I believe that medication, I believe counseling, I believe my doctors are all gifts given to me by God as a way to fight back against that. So I don't want you to hear this if you struggle with anxiety, we are like, oh, just pray more. You just don't pray enough. You don't have enough faith. I don't think that's what it's saying here. I think it's important to read what Paul is saying. Is like, hey, you know what? In a moment, in that moment, look up. Remember, I am here. I'm good. I'm present. I'm for you. Try to find something to be grateful for. For, redirect your brains. They, they, they have this therapy techniques where it's redirecting your thoughts, speaking you know, words into your life. And we accept it because it's from a counselor, but it's from the scriptures too. He's saying, hey, focus on me. Look at me. Take a minute to find something to be grateful and thankful for. It truly does change our perspective Honestly, when I read the scripture, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like a a call to look up. And I find myself, when I'm in the midst of anxiety, I have these little note card things that have scripture. I find myself pacing around my backyard looking at scripture, staring up at the sky. Because I'm in it. I'm in it. But I'm trying to look up and see him. I'm trying to focus on prayer, of praying, thank you, Lord, no matter the outcome, thank you, because I know about my future destination, the future transformation, this will not be forever. I can endure this. I love that Paul is a coach. And I think being coachable is essential to being a Christ follower. Saying, okay, this race is going to be tough. It's going to be long. Things are going to burn. Gurgle. Maybe chafe. (laughs) Not going to feel good. But keep looking. The finish line is there. And the way that we run the race continues to transform us into Christ likeness. So we're focusing on unity. We're focusing on rejoicing and joy. We're focusing on prayer and talking to the Lord and going to the Lord and staying at his feet and keeping our eyes up. And we're transformed by Christ. But you know another thing about a race? There's people watching. There are people that are watching. Our race. And they're wondering, well, who we're racing for? Do people see Christ in your race? We tend to want to package up our lives and say, we look awesome and the inside is rotten. And then people get to peel that back and go, oh, you're just rotten. And they realize there's no Christ there. (laughs) But what if we say, I'm doing the best I can. I'm focusing on the basics. I'm focusing on unity. I'm focusing on bringing people with me. I'm focusing on keeping my eyes up. I'm focusing on looking just like Jesus every single day, over and over and over again. And someone says, why in the world are you experiencing peace How in the world can you say you experience anxiety, but also you feel like you can fight it? How can you rejoice at this loss or this grief? And you have this wonderful opportunity to tell them about your coach. Because how we run makes people ask why. Why do you run that way? Why are you doing that? How do you sustain that? How do you endure that? How do you smile through tears? And it's not fake, it's just choosing to find joy. So, our coach tells us focus on the basics, keep the finish line in mind, but don't ever think we've outgrown the basics. Fight for each other, fight for joy. And tell them about our coach. Pray with me, Lord. I just thank you for the practical reminders in Scripture. Sometimes Scripture can be intimidating to me, Father, and I forget how clear it could be at times. That you give us this gift of clarity of the simple things, and we and we look at it and go. I just pray. Help us just revel in those simple things, those basic things that help us keep eternity in mind. Lord, and help us run the race well. So people look at us and ask about you. And we, with joy and unity and love, can share a great coach you are. Lord, we love you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.